most of the research in low back pain, and we do this in knee pain, we do it with everything, it's that cross-sectional study where we're like, okay, you have pain, let's measure some measure of function, and let's find out how people in pain are different from other people in pain, and then boom, we just leave it there. As we understand more about the biopsychosocial model, we're moving to practical and pragmatic approaches with our patients. Today, we spoke to Greg Lehman for part two. Now, Greg is a physio at Cairo. He does strength and conditioning work with his patients. And he has a wonderful website calling Reconciling Biomechanics with Pain Science. Greg actually covered a little bit of a personal injury story, as well as a couple of patient analogies, but he spoke very pragmatically about how he applies the BPS model when to protect and when to nudge into pain. I found it really helpful hearing these examples. My name is Michael Risk and this is Physio Explained. Welcome, Greg. Thank you for joining us for part two. Yeah, thanks for having me. You were just uh, describing off air that <laughs> you think you have frozen shoulder here and you went and got an ultrasound. Uh, describe that experience. Yeah, I mean, my, my doc is pretty good. Like, I try not to give them the diagnosis. I just need them. <laughs> but, but uh, and, you know, the ultrasound, nothing's going to show up on the ultrasound unless I, it turns out I have some massive rotator cuff tear or something like that, or maybe some super cranky bursa. But amazingly, and I'm 47, nothing, they found nothing on the ultrasound, which I'm quite surprised at. You know, we say all the wrinkles on the inside, if you've been active your whole life. I didn't have anything. I'm pretty disappointed in myself. It's like um, reverse nocebo. You're expecting something there. There has to be something. Yeah, yeah. I wanted to know that I earned it. Like I've, I've like, maybe I haven't worked hard enough and I'm just lazy with my shoulder through the years. But no, I, I probably have frozen shoulder. I mean, it's exclusion. I can't, I can't squat anymore and hold on to the barbell. I don't like to reach up and behind me or, yeah, there's not much else it can be now. So I was asking how your tumbling was going and, and you told me about that and then... Um... I was saying it gives you such great perspective to have these injuries. And you were saying it could make you less, less sympathetic in a way. That's the worst part because like, I know a lot of people will have this and it's really debilitating and they expect to be fixed. I never expected to be fixed. I kind of resigned myself to having frozen shoulder. I just said, screw it. I can't tumble. I can't do gymnastics. I started skateboarding more. I strength trained more. I started running again. So I have a coped and adapted really well but you know it can make me callous when i if i have patients with frozen shoulder i'm like listen you just there's not much you can do you got to work around it you know i gotta watch it i gotta i gotta like not because i have adapted well doesn't mean that everyone else can cope well so i gotta watch my callousness are you starting to think well what are the multifactorial causes that have caused my frozen shoulder yeah see this is this is where i'm not massively part of the biopsychosocial or the psychosocial like i really believe in the bio i just think the psychosocial stuff can uh contribute in some way uh so no i don't i think sometimes this just happens i think sometimes we just have a disc herniation and we got to make the best of it and it's going to settle and sometimes you got to get surgery or something you got to get help so i'm hoping to see a rheumatologist actually i'm seeing a physiatrist to get an injection yeah I think there's a massive biological, physiological component here. You mentioned a bit earlier that you, you know, you still appreciate the bio. And I wanted to link this back to our part one. So I guess if you're listening to this and you haven't listened to part one, we spoke about the stability research. I had some kind of follow-up questions from that. And, and I guess the big overarching one is, 
when do you think the bio matters and, and specifically the biomechanics of the bio with back pain? And like, that's a big question. So I tried yeah, to start to think of specific examples, like uh, someone with tib post pain who is a big pronator or someone with low back pain who lives in a lot of flexion. And I guess the narrative is these postural things, these pronation things, lumbar flexion doesn't matter so much. But I always try to rationalize that at, at some point, the biomechanics now might play a role on a stress tissue. Yeah, I, I'm totally with you. I have a blog on that and I lecture on that one a lot. So tip post would be the same as flexion. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with pronating, but sometimes it becomes sensitive. So taping it or putting in an orthotic or when you run, put your feet wider apart or change your um, pelvic tilt, like contralateral pelvic tilt. These will all change the amount of pronation you have, or at least the stress through that area. And it can feel better. And then slowly over time, it recovers. Same with flexion. I was just talking to Peter O'Sullivan and JP Canero last night about their exposure, exposure with control or the Vlayan approach, which is, you know, graded exposure. And if you look at what you're doing, although we talk about it as we have people do movements that they've been avoided and avoidant and fearful, right? That is what they do. But in some ways, I call, this is weird, I call these people like accidental endurance copers, meaning they keep doing the thing that aggravates them and they don't realize it. They hold themselves in a position that's aggravating them. And so when you do exposure, you actually have them move differently than they're used to, right? And that might lead to some pain relief, but you're also, it's more than that. You're certainly addressing their emotions and their fear response and what they think about what's going on. But mechanically, if you look at mechanically, they're moving differently and you might be changing nociception as one of the things that you're doing where you're changing the stress on sensitive tissues. Even though I think exposure is more robust, it's working via other mechanisms. So there's still something to be said about the biology there, even with something that's so psycho like exposure, which is supposed to be very psychological and violating expectations and like you address the fear and the anxiety, but could still be some biology there. But, sorry, but it's all biology. Sorry. Just let me, someone's going to say it's all biology. Yes, it's all about, but I mean more mechanics, like something more like how you move the kinematics, kinetics might actually be doing something there. In the bio component, I hear you. I find it hard and it's like that baby with the bathwater argument. I don't know if I can verbalize it well enough or there's no research to back this up. But say with a, a thing that we're trying to move away from, like pronation is bad or upper crossed posture or posture, right? These things that probably not so helpful narrative for our patients to say, you have Y because of X, you have a sore neck because of your upper crossed posture. We seem to all agree we're trying to move away from that. What I'm seeing though, and I'd love your thoughts on this is say, young therapists coming out saying, that doesn't matter. The research says that doesn't matter anymore. And so someone with neck pain who's like hanging out here, then that's probably not the cause. But in this moment on that sensitized tissue, maybe like sitting a little bit like this could help you sitting a little bit more upright or just yeah. packing your shoulders back a little bit. What's the balance there of unhelpful narrative versus changing exposure? I just say to someone, listen, we're just going to give you other options here. It hurts to do that for a little bit. Let's do something else. Mm. I had a patient last night who's a friend of mine who so came over late. 
he has this anterior hip pain that leads to his back, his, his buttock as well. He thought he did it riding his bike, but then he also thinks he did it because he had a vasectomy years ago and they messed up and all these things. Mm. So he's a little bit worried. He only gets it when he sits up from a chair, right? That was it. He just has this sharp pain, but he can walk super far and hike and do all these things and be active and swim and no pain, but the sharp groin and back pain for two weeks uh, back there. And I did a full hip screen and a full lumbar. The only thing that caused it would be like, I'd bring his knee up and then bring it all the way over to his left side. And I was like, oh my God, like there's the pain. It's just shooting in the groin. And I was like, oh, it's probably hip, you know, intra-articular. Something is irritated. I have no idea what it is irritated. And then he would get, I watched him get up from a chair and he'd like, he'd use his hands and lift himself up and that would kill. And I was like, do this, like, don't arch your back. Like, don't bend your spine. Keep it really straight. Hinge forward at your hip. Push your knees out. And I was teaching, you know, the classic perfect squat. He's yeah. like, oh, that's amazing. Yeah. That feels so good. I'm like, yeah. So he's like, why? I'm like, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> it doesn't matter. That strategy for you, like, which is funny because we're putting more stress through the hip if he's squeezing his glute muscles and all that stuff. But I taught like your classic good posture for getting yeah. out of a chair and it felt better for him. And now he, he's like, oh, I feel so much better because now I'm not worried about it. I was freaking out. Greg told me that there's really nothing wrong. I'm like, I didn't say that, but that's okay. Uh, <laughs> we'll talk about that. But here I, I gave a mechanical intervention. Yeah. But it definitely had, with a positive messaging here, mm. it had other effects there. That's powerful. I guess yeah. the fear... The, the fear from what I'm reading, I don't believe this. I, I think we can use our words in a powerful way to supplement what you just did there. The fear is because that's such a powerful movement experiment and they got such an outcome in that moment that they could easily take away, well, my back being flexed is bad or this, my shoulders forward or neck forward is, is the thing causing it. What's your safeguard? So with him, I'm like, listen, you don't have to do this forever. Yep. This is totally temporary to help you out. It's still going to flare up every now and then, but this is just to ha have a little less pain when you're, getting it, when you're getting out of a car and getting out of a seat and, and it'll be fine. But it was really neat. I think it was his fear and his worry. He would just kind of freak out every time he went over a bump and get out of a chair. And so helping him control this gave him a, a sense of control again. Mm. I was, again, I always inoculate. I'm like, you could feel great the next two weeks, but you could have a flare up four weeks. That happens. Let's just, watch this. He wants, he saw a massage therapist before me. I'm like, you can go back. Just don't listen to them. <laughs> Cause they, you know, they told them they're releasing the scar. They beat the shit out of his psoas and all that stuff. Same with the Cairo. And I was like, if you want to get a rub down or yeah. I don't know, whatever you call it, like go for it, just go because it feels good, but don't get fixed. Yeah. 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 This is going to settle on its own. Is there any value in kind of these observations anymore or even these observational studies like again i'll i'll throw up a cross posture or we were talking about tra timing a few weeks ago on the podcast is there any value in that kind of like observational research anymore did that lead us down the wrong path or was it just the next step we needed to take what research like the research that said it's poorly linked with pain yeah or you know i think you use the towel analogy like if someone's sweating and now we're going to give them a towel to wipe it down. That's not the right treatment in regards to TRA timing. Do you think that 
that research was helpful or unhelpful? I think it was unhelpful. And has it led us? <laughs> has it led us to the next step, or was it just no. an unhelpful dead end? Yeah. No. I. I sorry, but I. Uh, no. I think it. It led to too much debunking. Still, a lot of research money going into trying to validate it. You still see papers on it. I think it's the wrong approach. I think what Peter O'Sullivan did was the right approach. He was right in it. He could have been the expert in the transverse abdominis and spinal stability. And uh, what he did with this big shift was the, the way to go. That's the, that, that's the model that we should be emulating. So it was a wonderful observation that what, what they found with the timing of TRA, but the, I guess what we took away from that and the path that led us down was wrong. Yeah, we do it all the time. We're just looking to confirm that doing these exercises are helpful. Mm. We need another way to look at it. No, I don't think it's helpful. Yeah. And I think you were referring to it as like observational. We've seen this. We've seen this effect in people with back pain. Is that research still happening? Are we still looking for that observation? Like, how would we change that? Most of the research in low back pain, and we do this in knee pain, we do it with everything. It's that mm. cross-sectional study where we're like, okay, you have pain. Let's measure some measure of function. And let's find out how people in pain are different from other people in pain. And then boom, we just leave it there. Yeah. We see it in the running literature. Sometimes yeah. you have more hip abduction. Sometimes you have more, you know, knee adduction or something like that. And it like, you're like, who cares? They're mm. different. I'm rewriting my running course. I'm doing the kinematics and kinetic section. And all I'm saying is we could talk about this for 12 hours, but guess what? When people have pain, sometimes they run differently. Yeah. Who cares? Yeah. How, what do we do pragmatically about this? That's all that we should focus on. Mm. That cross-sectional study, that, that shit doesn't help us at all. You need yeah. to find some other principle. Like what we don't focus on enough is like, why do people get better? Mm. That's it. Or what are the things you, or if we get an idea of why people get better, then what is, what's the better way to deliver that intervention. So if we think that emotions are involved with pain or are addressing the emotional component and exposure is important, okay, how do you do that? Because mm. so many papers will say that, oh, you have to address their fear. Okay, how? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then they just leave it at that. Yeah. Is that a harder thing to measure and do good research on? Oh, sure. Because it'll be like really experimental research where you have to, have to, now I'm just putting me on the hot seat here. You'd have to think of like, you'd have to get people who have different ways of addressing something mm. and really just test them, right? Pragmatic testing to see what is better. That's, yeah. it's hard to do. That's like long-term stuff. I have a huge respect for researchers that do these things. I mean, you'll spend two years of your life doing a big trial like that. Yeah. You get to do 10 trials and there's 20 years gone. And at the end of that 20 years, you might not have discovered anything. Do you think that our role has become a hell of a lot more more simple. I just did a live the other day reflecting on our first podcast and it what I found helpful or like if I was a new grad I was trying to learn all these models and like exactly how a shoulder would move and what muscle pulls at the right time and that was complicated stuff and it was wrong. Yeah. <laughs> but I feel like it's become simple but the how to what you're just touching on here yeah. the how to is not easy but the model has been simplified. What are your thoughts on that? Exactly. Again, I'll go back to, I love CFT and Pete stuff because 
they have the, to me, because it resonates with me and it's what I like to teach. They have the best manifestation of the biopsychosocial. So they've created a framework of things you can do and they're trying to show you the how to, that's why I really appreciate what mm-hmm. they have. They're not just talking about it. They're trying to make it, it practical. And when you look at it, that's what people get mad. I think when they take their course, they're like, that's it. That's, that's it. <laughs> Cause if you look at it, it's like, get healthy, address all the areas of your life where you can be healthier, make sense of pain, which is your classic pain education. But then that has to be tailored to the person. You have to make sense of that person's pain. It has to resonate with them. And that's sometimes difficult. And that's why I do the key messages and stuff like that. That's how I do it. I think I do like people where I think something and I read it. I'm like, oh, they're saying what I think. They, they're fantastic. So I, you have to watch my bias here. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm not the most objective person to judge their stuff. And then they have this exposure with control, which I like, which is like you expose or protect you know, sometimes I don't agree with exposure, but their exposure is like, okay, what aren't you doing? What are you afraid to do? All right. We kind of have to start doing that. Yeah. That sounds simple. Yeah. But it's not, and they're masters at it. Mm. So the things you do, like it sounds easy in paper, but then really doing it to get to find the right way for the person in front of you. That's why it's hard what we do. Yeah. Thank you, Greg. I really appreciate coming on for part two. Thank you.